Product Management. Hello everyone, this is Vlad, Real World Product Management. Today's the 19th episode, and this is probably going to be the last episode in this current format. I believe I figured out what I like and what I don't like about the current format, so I'm going to I'm going to do something different starting the next episode. It's going to be more, um, less random, uh, less random topics, less uh, random, um, less random thoughts. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I just want to streamline and make it more uh, consequential. So starting from the next episode, uh, you probably want to start getting into the cadence of like listening to this episode that will trigger the next, that will next, and do the next. So this way it should, hopefully, from my personal opinion, should make a little bit more sense. We'll see how that's going to work out. Uh, Again, uh, this podcast is a product, so we continuously experiment with it. I continuously experiment with it, so we'll see if that is going to work. Uh, but again, uh, I, it's not like I have 500 million uh, people listening to this. Uh, by the way, if you're listening to this, uh, there's a YouTube version. If you're on YouTube, there is a pure podcast version. Uh, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh Pandora, iHeartRadio. We're on Amazon now. Apparently, Amazon has their own podcast thingy. I didn't know, but I'm there now. And on any other podcast catalog imaginable, I guess. So uh, subscribe, hit the like button. Hit the like button. I don't know. I don't know why everybody does that. I I, I don't know. Um, There's another thing that kind of bothers me. It's... um, Oh, this episode is sponsored by blah, blah, blah. So this episode is sponsored by me, myself, and I. Anyway, let's go back to product management. Today's two topics that I wanted to cover, they're not that closely related. They're somewhat related. Uh, and, and, and they both deal with scarcity of things. Uh, one deals with scarcity of information, scarcity of data. The one, other one is uh, dealing with uh, scarcity of experience. Today's two topics that I wanted to talk about are product decisions at companies with small user base. Or I, I wrote this in my notes, but I'm not really liking it right now. Uh, it's not really... We don't really care about small user base. Uh, as far as the decisions go, what this means is we're not having enough user data for data-driven decisions, which means you're not really at FANG level and you looking at very small user base that does not really tell you what uh, you want to know uh, from the data standpoint. Uh, so. What are the ways to deal with that? How do you deal with making product decisions when you're not getting enough data uh, from your users or from your user base or from whatever, from the analytics? And the second part, like I said, dealing with scarcity of experience is I, I, I look through Reddit. I, I'm not a developer, right? I don't know how to code, but apparently uh, you can still code. Uh, you can still code in Python if you, even if you don't know how to code. So I built a tiny little scraper, literally five lines of code or something. 
I'm not a coder. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so I, I build a little scraper that calculates the, 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 the gathers the topics in our product management. And I su- try to summarize them. Obviously that part I was done, it was done manually. So I collected about 250-ish, uh, I don't remember the number, was cut off by dates, I think. So I collect about 250-ish uh, titles of uh, uh, topics on our product management. Whenever I wasn't sure what the topic was about, I went and read the actual question and responses. I calculated, gathered it uh, into a tiny little Excel table. Might put it here if I don't forget when I'm going to be editing the video. And well, I, I posted it on Reddit. Nobody cared. Nobody looked at it. So here's me trying to use it <laughs> to use the data again. Top by a huge margin, the top topic or top theme for questions on our product management was career advice. Coincidentally, it's the same with our internal data, the company that I work for. Uh, we have about 35,000 people. I think that's that's the public number, 35,000 employees. Uh, there's a huge chunk of people who want to transition from other, other specialties into product management other competencies into product management. And they're all asking the same question. How do I become a product manager if I am not a something, something? If I'm a developer, if I'm a QA, if I'm a BA, whatnot. In other words, how do I become, how do I transition to a product manager role without having a ton of product management experience, even partial product management experience? Like in our organization, BAs do get a lot of product management experience, exposure to product managers because they work directly with product managers. So that's easy. If you're UX, if you're, developer if you're a QA, even if you get to uh, management levels, that doesn't necessarily mean you work with product or you work in product, things could be different. So here's here's the point where, where data actually exists. And oh, I was able to match, look at the data and match, oh, uh, this is what you know people on Reddit are interested in. This is what people at our company are interested in. So it's probably an interesting, uh, an interesting topic. So that's what I uh, sort of... Um, decided to cover. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. Um, you don't have to trust me. Uh, read Reddit, read online forums, read Levels FYI. There's a ton of stuff out there. What I'm trying to do is uh, share the experience that I get interviewing people weekly. I Last week, uh, just last week, I had four or five interviews for a junior PM role. Uh, it was brutal. But these are exactly the people that are trying to get into the product management. We want them to get into the product management. But second part of the uh, second part of this episode. So back to product management problem uh, decisions at uh, well with the lack of uh, with the lack of data for data driven decisions. Um, it's a product management problem, obviously, uh, when you don't have enough data to truly trust the data driven decision approach. Uh, it's easy when you work at, uh, I don't know, Google, Spotify, um, Netflix, when you have a ton of data that you can rely on and your problem is not getting the data, your problem is interpreting the data or using the data smart enough to make that decision. But you don't have a problem with data. Data is there. You have something to look at. Uh, it just so happened that in quite a few roles in quite a few, we call them engagements. I keep calling them engagements. Quite a few roles where I was a product manager. I did not have that data. 
whether I was building a new product, ex extending the existing product, building a new feature, or trying to convince people <laughs> that the idea that I have is worthy of building a product, it came up with not having sufficient amount of data. And um, what do you do? <laughs> I feel like saying like, oh, kids, the kids who are in product manager roles have, it's e have it easy these days because now we know to collect all this data. Now we know we need to get all of that on, uh, on the books. But um, back in the day, uh, we didn't. That's not true, actually. <laughs> Let me stop myself right there. That's not true. There are still cases, especially in the enterprise product, where you would not have enough data. Either your client base is very small or you're solving a problem that was not solved in a meaningful way before or there are other things or data may not be available to the organization and it's private data or uh, whatever, proprietary data at other organizations. So you can't get that information easily. You can't use anything uh, in sufficient enough quality and volume to make data-driven decisions. So how do you do this? How do you, how do you cope with this? How do you address that? Um, the, how do you address this problem, right? It's, 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 first of all, it's your problem. It's a product manager problem because ultimately you're the one making a decision and you're the one responsible for the outcomes of making that decision. Ideally, you should start, that, again, from my experience, not saying this is uh, end-all, be-all true. Uh, from my experience, you still go for customer problem. You still need to identify what the customer problem is. What is the problem you're trying to solve with this product, with proposed product or with this feature or whatnot? What really is a problem? You could identify early enough a sufficient amount of people are having this problem. That is your one of your early and available data points where you can interview users early, interview your users often, and get that data point. If there's data to be had, go get it. If the only way to get that data point uh, is the interview, yes, you gotta get <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna annoy your users. You're gonna annoy your um, potential customers or future customers or existing customers to the hell and back. But it's the only way to be sure that you're not wasting your time and your effort on building something uh, that nobody wants. We did that back in the day. Uh, we were I, I told this story already. So uh, we tried to build a built-in messenger. We tried to create a built-in messenger in the product to, for to communicate some uh, updates or something uh, with the customers uh, because we didn't realize that we're trying to solve the problem that didn't really exist. And we went as far as building a prototype. To pro Nobody even wanted to look at the prototype because customers did not have that problem. They didn't have a problem of, oh, we need this communication feed from your product because we don't know what's going on. They knew very well what was going on. They didn't need another stream of alerts, notifications, and, and other bothersome things to tell them what's going on. What they needed was a way to quickly act on the information because they were getting those alerts and notifications. They were getting that information through other sources. They didn't really care about another source that gets them that information, but they needed a way to act. And that's why we didn't go any, we didn't go past the prototype. Again, the problem was not customers. We, we 
misrepresented the problem. We thought the problem was they don't know. The problem turns out they did know, but they couldn't do anything about it because the product was so complex and but and, and, and just horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, so that they really couldn't act fast enough on the problem. Let's say it was fraud and the customer was customer or salesperson was trying to defraud the owner. They needed to act really, really fast, like so it, in a matter of minutes. And the launch of a product on, say you have a laptop open, you just need to launch the product. That alone took two or three minutes. So you can imagine how well that worked out. Still, experimentation was good because, again, we misrepresented the problem to ourselves. We didn't realize what the true problem is. We, so we thought that problem was lack of information or information not getting to the customers fast enough. Uh, so we went through experimentation. And even though it was some effort sunk, cost sunk effort down the drain, however you want to uh, position it, we didn't go far, far, too far. It only took us a couple of weeks and maybe, I don't know, 10 hours spread thinly across those two weeks to identify that. Nope, this is the wrong way to go. We don't want to do that. So, yes, you risk sinking some money into this uh, into this hole, but compared, comparatively speaking, it's pocket change. Uh, yes, you're risking sinking some money down the drain, but you experiment early, experiment really, really early in the game, you try things, you show things to your users, or you try things with your product, and you quickly realize that, oh, let's stop right here. It's a mistake. Let's pivot. Let's abandon this idea and move to something uh, with more merit. And, and, and by asking users, asking your uh, subject matter experts, by doing a lot of experimentation, you develop what we call a product manager's gut feeling. It's a thing. We talked about it last year. I don't like to bring it up because it gets abused more often than it should. Uh, you get, I don't know, fresh MBA with about two months um, experience on the workforce and they start telling you about their product manager gut feeling. I don't know about that. I don't know. They may have a gut, but uh, um, and and by gut, uh, I mean they have guts to make a decision, right? But I, I don't know about gut feelers at all. Uh, so, but if you haven't experienced enough product manager, you may be lucky and you may get that the right person with the right gut feeling, and they just feel like that's that's the way to go, and you have a win. But. As as much as you don't get the real customer data, you should produce something, experiments, interviews, uh, UX studies, any experience studies, anything really that give you some sort of information to act on. That's the best you can do. Now, moving on to the next part, and because this is just you and the problem, right? You've just formulated the right problem. You've collected enough feedback, whether it's through experimentation or interviews or experience studies, that to even understand what you want to work on. So your next step is selling this idea to your to your boss, to what I call upper management, right? It's your stakeholders, your CDO, CIO, CPO, whatever. Any, anybody who's who you need to convince to get uh, funding, resources, and uh, a blessing to continue working on this problem, you hopefully realize this is a true problem. 
So how do you how do you do that? Well, if I would have a, a true recipe, I'd probably make this a I don't know a paid seminar. You know, charge you guys money for that, but I don't, so I'm not. Uh, but the approach is pretty self-explanatory. So don't claim to know <laughs> that it hundred percent works or it doesn't. But there are some moves yet that you can make that uh, work with a reasonable enough upper management. You have to demonstrate the existing problem. You have to demonstrate that there's a market for a solution. In other words, if you can bring a response from a well-known customer, and again, we're talking about the case when you don't have millions of customers, you have tens or hundreds of customers. So most likely your upper management knows your customers, if not all of them, then at least top of them, uh, they know top 15, top 100 customers by name. So if you can bring back a feedback from one of those customers with their name attached to it, where they say, yes, this is a problem. Yes, what whatever John is showing us looks like a solution. You may have their ear. You may have their attention. You may have something that they will listen to. You may have a way to sell it. Um, ideally, again, you need to do that research. You need to do that homework. Uh, ideally, your competition is doing something around that. Your competition is not sleeping. And if they're a little bit ahead of you, this is your lucky day because you can point a finger to them and tell them, hey, they're doing this. We're not doing this. So they might steal our show. And this is actually uh, funny because... It kind of worked the other way for me. Uh, I was trying to find a way to um, extend the legacy product, the one that took forever to start. And we noticed uh, somebody brought in uh, advertising brochures from the from the competition, and they claimed to do something something that we knew was impossible to do for them. So, but I, I'm not I'm not accusing anybody of lying. It's just what we knew at the moment was. A, a, a competitor was saying, we do X. We have certain feature in their advertising brochure. We knew they were not able to do it automatically or as efficiently as they claimed they would. I mean, technically, they could do it in a very manual and very convoluted way. We knew they're not going to do it automatically. And I posed the question, why can't we get something like that done automatically? to to my uh, to my management and they let me experiment they let me say let me figure things out and we were actually able to build a free product a free supplemental product that runs on top of our legacy thing and solves the problem in literally five clicks uh, it was distributed free it helped with retention uh, so it did help with bottom line just not generated any direct profit. Uh, but uh, it was it was a pretty cool thing that was, in fact, sparkled by a very misleading. Again, I'm not saying anybody, I'm not accusing anybody of lying. But at that time, at that moment, we thought that the advertising was very misleading. And um, by that, by the virtue of that very misleading advertisement, we decided to figure out how to do this. I was able to figure out how to do this uh, automatically and we were able to build that supplemental product uh, in like three months time something like that so demonstrate um, 
all your failed experiments demonstrate your output because even failed experiments produce some data. Like that example that I used that our customers didn't want the messenger in the product. They wanted to do something else. It demonstrated the actual problem of them not being able to act fast enough. So we failed to achieve the goal of that particular prototype by saying, hey, we want to build this information stream for you. Nobody wanted it. Yes, we failed at that objective, but we uncovered a different one. We uncovered an underlying, deeper underlying need of a faster, of taking faster action, of getting things done faster that we kind of knew that our product is not, you know, not <laughs> designed for taking fast actions, but it let us look at the problem from a completely different angle. So now we weren't thinking about, oh, how do we do this or how do we do that? If we started thinking about uh, this product in terms of efficiency, how fast can you do things? Like, yes, you can do this, but it takes you five minutes or 10 minutes or you need help. Uh, can you do this really fast? So looking at the product, looking at customer problems from a completely different angle helped us rethink some of the strategy. I don't want to go very deep into that. All I'm saying is even your failed experiments are useful if you're running them with, you know, with a specific hypothesis in mind, with a specific ideas. And you're tracking the results. So you're just like, oh, it worked. It didn't work. Why? Why you think it worked? Why you think it didn't work? What went right? What went wrong? What was the actual feedback? Can you see any other things in your feedback rather than did it work? Didn't work? And again, if you have a million clients, it's hard to have a meaningful conversation. So this is this is the part where you have a small user base actually helps you because if you have ten clients that you're talking to. You can get on the phone with each one of them for an hour and in 10 hours time, which you can fit because you don't need your customers. That's your like, that's your job <laughs> as a product manager. And within a week, uh, by spending that 10 hours with customers on the phone or uh, on on the Zoom or on the whatever demo, you can uncover a ton of useful stuff that you haven't even thought about. So run experiments, ask questions, discover new things, right? Uh, five whys is a big thing. Uh, for me, I keep asking five whys all the time. I Enterprise products, small products, large products, I find myself asking the five whys constantly and keep uncovering new stuff. Even when I talk to fellow product managers, I, uh, I was, I was um, in a working session recently trying to understand something. I didn't run a working session. I didn't participate, technically speaking, in the, in the session. But all I did was I was asking, like, why are we doing this? Why are we asking this question? Why are we looking at these people? And it told me a lot about the product, told me a lot about methodology, and told me a lot about people who are trying to do that. And I can see where I can add more value. I had to help, help them pivot to be more efficient in their... I'm not saying they're, they don't know what they're doing. Obviously, they do. But you can always see, even at that level, you can see how you can help people be more efficient and become more efficient yourself. Another interesting thing that I noticed was, this probably comes from, it probably comes from uh, be, being in so many different industries. I know it's not, not a very popular idea to jump 
jobs or well jumping jobs is a good thing but uh, some i noticed people try to t- tend to stay within the same industry like people in fintech oh i'm i'm a pm in fintech i'm like fintech or healthcare no no, no i only do healthcare so i don't i i've been in healthcare i've been in this brush products i've been in retail all over the place it's bad because i don't get to go really really deep and uh, you know, spend years and years and years figuring out all the underlying problems and like, you know, sophisticated little things within the same within the same domain of knowledge. But what I do get uh, as a win some lose some uh, benefit, what I do get is I get to learn how things are done in different domains, and I can bring that experience into the domain I'm currently in, and say, hey guys, we don't need to reinvent this because it's already installed in another industry as an example uh, we were struggling with uh, we were struggling with certain ways of doing things in the retail and I, and I brought a couple of ideas from healthcare and i said hey listen healthcare already sold that here's how they do it in healthcare if you build it this way because you're you have slow transactions you don't have to do like you know real-time transaction or something you can basically send the create a message queue and do something like that and and again it's it's once it started being more solution architecture technology stuff i i shifted over to technology teams but the approach the paradigm you have to be aware of that you can you can say things like that to even initiate the conversation because otherwise oh we always did things like that and nobody tries to think out I'm sorry for a cliche. Nobody tries to think outside of the box. It's not, it's not really about the boxes. It's a look at other industries. Maybe they have solved this problem already. Maybe they've done this before. And all you need to do is just adopt their solution to your needs and you're done. To summarize, how do you work with small user base or in a situation where you don't have enough data for true data-driven decisions? You have hundreds of clients, hundreds of thousands of clients. You do more sophisticated interviews. You don't ask a single question, surveys. You actually get on the phone and talk to people. You do a lot of experimentation. You do more experiments or your experiments get to be more sophisticated because you would show those experiments to to your customers. You discuss the experiments, the outcomes with the customers and see their get their deep, detailed feedback. As a matter of fact, here's the question. Have you guys worked with any of the low-code solutions? I would be really interested to hear that, the feedback. YouTube comments, emails, anything, uh, LinkedIn comments, I don't care. Just tell me. So experimentation, interviews, talk to your customers. uh, Talk to your customers a lot. Because there's few of them, fewer of them, you get to talk to them more. So do that. Uh, demonstrate your uh, experiments to subject matter experts, your customers. Bring your customers in. Make them a part of the solution. Don't make them part of the problem. Keep asking questions. Uh, uncover new niches. Ask why. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Are you doing this because what, do you, what is it you're trying to achieve? What is the problem you're trying to solve? But why are you trying to solve this problem if you're really trying to solve this problem? And talk to your customers. Interview create the data that you're missing if not in volume then in quality right if you can't get quantity of the data increase the quality of it that's that's the bottom line so um that wraps it up for 
Lanaf user data for data-driven decision part. And uh, let's move on to career advice when you are not a product manager, but you really want to be one. So first of all, um, you really need to think, do you really need to be a product manager? I know it's a hard role. I know uh, current companies pay a ton of money to for product managers for people to do different things under the title of a product manager. But uh, before you even go there, think about, do you really want to be a product manager? Is that really what you want to do? Because a lot of different companies, I'm going to go on a tangent a little bit, but it's important for the rest of the conversation. A lot of companies put a lot of different meanings in a product manager title. For some companies, product manager is just a glorified product owner, glorified project manager, glorified scrum master. You get to run things, but you have zero decision power. To me, that's not really a product manager. It, just because company decides to call that role product manager doesn't mean you are a product manager. I've seen people like that in our interviews and in our assessments. I'm very sad to say they're bright people. They're really smart people. Problem is they have zero understanding of what product management is. And that's why they tend not to pass interviews. Not because they're trying to bullshit anybody. No, they're really cool people, really honest, really great. It's just that if I hire them in a product manager capacity, uh, my goal is to put them in front of a client as a product manager and have them lead activities as a product manager. And they have no clue what this means. So for all intents and purposes, they're not product managers. They have no idea what they're going to be doing. And if they're going to try to do things they think they know, it's going to jeopardize our relationship with the client. That's why they tend not to pass interviews because we don't have a chance to, to teach them on a job, to train them on a job. So that's why it's not really working out for them. With that said, again, different companies put different responsibilities into the product manager role, and you have to be aware of that. I always have to ask questions uh, with from the recruiter, from the hiring manager. Really need try to understand what it is. With that said, let's get into the actual career advice, right? I like to say this. I, I think I wrote it a few times in different blogs and whatnot. It's really easy if you have, at least you have the basics, right? Uh, if you think about yourself as a product, you have to think about yourself as a product. You're a product manager. What's the best product you can sell? It's yourself, right? It's kind of like sales salesperson. They never sell product. They always sell themselves. And then that sells the product. At least that's been my understanding. But I could be wrong. But in this case, think about yourself as a product that you're trying to build and put it to market, right? Your ultimate measure of success is getting to market. So you getting a job as a product manager is the ultimate success metric of you building a product of you as a product manager. So you need to think about it. What is your value proposition? What do you bring to the table? In other words, when you're talking to a hiring manager, they're gonna think about with them, right? What's in it for me? Why should I hire you? 
and you need to be able to prepare uh, and you, you need to be able to answer. You need to be prepared to answer the question in whichever form it comes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what other versions of this question could be. Uh, sometimes people just ask it straight up. Why should I hire you? Why? What's, if you're not a product manager and I'm looking a pro, uh, for a product manager, why should I take you over somebody who already has experience? And you need to be able to uh, answer that. Another thing you want to think about is what kind of problem would you be able to solve for a client? Don't sound like a solution looking for a problem. Most of the interviewers, I'm probably less of that because I do tend to obscure things uh, when I ask them. Not because I'm trying to be hard. It, it's just the way uh, I, I'm used to ask questions uh, as open-ended as possible so that uh, people uh, exp expand more, elaborate more on the, you know, within the answer. But ultimately, it's all about you saying why you're going to be a solution to the problem that your customer, your hiring manager, currently having. They need to do X, Y, and Z. They have a product that lacks leadership. They have a brand new product, and they need a person who's going to build it that's where you can plug in and say, hey, I know I don't have a formal education or formal experience, but I've done these things before. So I'm sure I can contribute to this. I can lead your whatever. I can lead your discovery. I can lead your experimentation. I can do this. I can manage people. So there's got to be places, pieces of the puzzle where you should be able to plug in and uh, deliver. That's probably... Um, one of the main reasons why people are not passing the interviews. And I coach people uh, on passing the our internal interviews. I listen to how people respond to questions like that in our external interviews when we hire external candidates. I read what people write in the recruiting hell or jobs or uh, product management Reddit. One of the things that consistently flares at me all the time uh, when why people didn't get it is because they failed to formulate that value proposition. What the problem? What is the what is the problem they will be able to solve? Just because you want to be product manager, nobody's really obligated to give you anything, right? Just based on your on your decision to become a product manager. But if you can formulate your value prop, if you can formulate hey, I know I'm not a formal product manager, but here are the things that I can do as a future product manager, and here's the things where I need support. That works. We know that works because people keep being hired into the product management roles uh, without uh, formal product, product experience. I think those people, I believe, I strongly believe those people are able to formulate their value proposition in terms sufficiently understandable by their future customers, by their hiring managers, right? Um, one of the things this this was uh, this came as an internal conversation, uh, but I wanted to bring it up because I think it's important. Back in the day, um, and I mean about five, seven ish years ago. Uh, there was really cool idea. He stemmed from Google that uh, product managers are CEOs of the product. It got killed. It got canceled. Sorry, <laughs> it got canceled in in the true sense of word. Uh, you know, social media canceled. Why? 
because companies consistently put different responsibilities into product management roles. And yes, product managers are not CEOs of the product. And to add to that, they're not, they're even less CEOs of a product today than they were five to seven years ago. There's a lot less decision-making ability in product managers. Product managers are now kind of um, chaperones of the backlog rather than decision-makers. There's, I, I'm yet to see a full-blown product management uh, responsibilities stack the way, I don't know, Roman Pickler puts them into that uh, circle diagram. I try to put it here if I don't forget in the YouTube video. So uh, they're, they're really more of a glorified product owners, BAs, project manager combination of things rather than the actual true pro, uh, decision makers. There are some, not a lot. There are some who do that, uh, but uh, it gets less of that. So yes, the product managers are not CEOs of the product in any more than you are a CEO of your own pants. Uh, so no, that's not true anymore at all. But if you were a business owner, if you were a business person at some point in your career, that's still a good thing. Even during our you know, today's commoditization of product management roles, it's still a good thing because you understand business problems better. You can relate to business people better. You can communicate with them better. That's your additional value point. That's That should be your value prop. You know how to run business. You know how to do things. You can, you can do it. If you ever run your own business, make sure you put it in. Uh, one other side note, one more thing. Some people say, oh, I need an MBA to be a product manager. I wrote about it extensively. I don't know how many times when you say this. You do not. If you this is your first role ever in like your fresh graduate, you went for MBA and you want to get into the product management uh, right off the bat, maybe it will help. I don't know. But after that, if your first couple of years in the product management role, nobody cares. <laughs> If you, if, if they're going to ask you what the product life cycle is and you can't answer it, no MBA in the world can save you from, from that. That's it. You're done. So MBA, I don't know. Uh, some people, I, I don't know who created this notion of, oh, you need an MBA. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. I mean, my beard is not that long yet. But um, yeah, no, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> MBA, MBA schools created the notion. Totally. Um, okay. So how to position yourself for the conversation where you didn't have a product things to do, but you still want to do product things. You want to become a product manager. Look at, look at Pickler's diagram, right? Don't, don't be afraid. Just because it's not true anymore doesn't mean you should not relate to it. It's true in a way that uh, product managers end up doing some of the stuff there. Not all of it. But some of this stuff, yes, they absolutely do it. And if you did it in your previous life, it's really good to relate to it. We have a ton of BAs who transition to product manager roles because they've done stakeholder management, they've done backlog management, they've done road mapping, even at the smaller scale, right? Not a product scale, but they understand what the hell product, product roadmap is and how to deal with it. Even if they have never uh, done a product roadmap, they've done... I don't know, a capability, a feature roadmap, uh, a, you know, 
uh, PI planning, four, five, six sprints planning. They know how to, how this works. They just need to learn how to scale it up. And that's, that's, that's kind of how you should look at it. Uh, find things you did that can relate to, to the product person's experience. For God's sakes, please do your homework, learn the basics. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe when I, ask people and, and again this is my personal experience doesn't mean it's uh, an all be all truth but people who can't answer basic things about product management even simple things like what's the difference between product vision strategy and the roadmap or if i ask them how do you prioritize the roadmap or you know they're somewhat tricky but they're not not anything special for for a person who at least read a book on the product management okay here's the vision here's the strategy here's the roadmap this is how you deal with the roadmap the roadmap is you know is this and it's not 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 a rocket science but you would not believe the answers i got it's 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 just goes borderline ridiculous when people start saying like oh we're gonna you know do some magic and uh, call the people and find out just learn the ba- do the homework learn the basics even if nobody's no, I mean, I've, I'm yet to hear about somebody's experience when they were asked questions uh, by the book. I have, I'm yet to hear about a single product manager interview. What it does, it organizes your mind in a way that how to do things in with a product mindset. It gives you the vocabulary that you should use during the interview. Um, I, I, I notice some people tend to use the words iteration instead of the word sprint. It irks me. I'm, I'm fine with that. It irks me, but I understand where they're coming from, and I don't have a problem with that. If somebody else does, if you keep using the word iteration and they only know if your hiring manager or your HR representative only knows the word sprint and you keep using the word iteration, you lose brownie points. You lose points on your interview. And why would you do that? Right? It, nobody cares that you're not wrong. Nobody cares that you're still using the right word. It's just not the language that's being used currently so in, you know, in, in the organization. So use what... Don't... don't don't be your own enemy, right? <laughs> Use the language that help, will help you succeed, not language that proves you're right, if you know what I mean. Learn the basics, do your homework, learn how to communicate, learn the right words, learn what they mean. That, that's important. Just because you know these words doesn't mean you know how to use them. And I, last week, I was in the position where I was literally quoting... Um, Princess Bride, that word you keep using, I don't think it means what you think it means. And it was very embarrassing for both myself, uh, my fellow interviewers, because why would you spend an hour and a half on the candidate that is misusing basic concepts, right? If somebody told you, uh, you know, oh, hey, you can measure things with scissors, and then you you you, you cut them with a, with a ruler. You can, but that's not really how it works. <laughs> So uh, learn the basics, do the homework. There's a ton of information out there. There are actually books on how to master product management interview, and I'm pretty. I haven't read them. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but I haven't read them. Uh, but I'm sure they talk about the same thing. I'm sure they tell you that use the right words with the right meaning. Don't try to reinvent the wheel and, and present it. Um, and um, Another interesting thing is I, I'm a big proponent of cases, 
I do cases all the time on the interviews, on all the interviews. I think cases demonstrate way more than any questions about the experience because they, they help the candidate look at the problem and approach the problem rather than try to react to sentences that may or may not make sense. If I ask you about the product that you worked on, I don't know the product. I mean, I may know something about that, but I'm not, you spent years or months or years working on it. I didn't. My question may not make sense. And you hesitating uh, to answer or to call me out on it, like, hey, Mr. Interviewer, your question don't make sense will be perceived like you don't really know how to answer it. And I don't want to put my candidates into that position, right? I I respect my candidates. I want them to succeed. So I'm giving them the best opportunity I can think of to shine. Here's a brand new product. Build it. Tell me what it is. It's not a secret. It's uh, Google does it. Amazon does it. I've been through dozens of interviews with Amazon and Google and everybody does that. I think Spotify does something similar. So it's, it's a known way to measure. Uh, a lot of consulting companies do that. They actually, uh, I was reading a couple of things online uh, the other day. Uh, Deloitte, uh, McKinsey, and BCG have a very specific case. And, and because they have tons of experience, they specifically tailor the case in such a way that they give you so much information that you don't have time to process it. So if you don't know how to deal with the case that those companies giving you specifically, you're never going to succeed. So there's, they got so good at it, and, and it just amazes me. They got so good at it that they deliberately throw curveballs in each case, and people know about those curveballs, and they still fail because the, the, these cases are so magnificently put together. So I, I'm just trying to express a lot of respect to how those cases put together. I absolutely love this idea. I wish I could uh, uh, do a dry run. I'm, I've heard there are some groups where you can actually do that, like uh, do mock interviews. So that's probably something I should do in my future. <laughs> and uh, there actually are groups that help you with the interviews. So that's one, one other thing you should do. If you can get your hands on those mock interviews or practice interviews for product management to get the feel of it, I, I recommend you do that. So you would know what be, what is being asked and how it's being asked. Because in my head, in my mind, the way I've seen it, the way I experienced it, the way I run my interviews, it's very different from everything else. Even BA role is different uh, than product management. The way the interview is conducted, sorry, the way the interview is conducted for even for BA roles are completely different. Like there's no cases, there's no... Um, low-running case with follow-up questions and all that. Do that. Uh, do it for yourself. Do it for a practice. Uh, if you want to succeed, do that. And one last thing, set realistic expectations. Uh, this is one, another thing that I've noticed in my <laughs> last couple of interviews. Last couple of weeks were very rich with interviews, so I'm speaking from experience here. Set the realistic expectations as to what is the level of knowledge can uh, what level uh, what position level your level of knowledge will give you it's good to be ambitious and ask for a director level when you haven't worked a single day as a product manager yes that happened but um be realistic right um it helps you because I tend to throttle my questions based on the perceived candidate's own perceived level. So if the candidate says, I want to be, you know, a director of product, 
I'm going to ask questions that are suitable for the director of product. If a candidate says, I want to be, you know, product manager, regular product manager, I'm going to follow the questions and ask questions as I would expect the regular product manager to know things. So this way, you're not going to put yourself in a position where you're losing before you even started, right? It's kind of like you, you ask for your ambitious goal. That's great. I'm not saying you should not have an ambition. You have, you should have realistic expectations. If you want to interview for a position of a product director and all you did was six month internship, I don't know. I really don't know. And, and, and maybe you had other things uh, you've done that are similar to product management. You have some relevant experience that still doesn't make you a director of product. So uh, try to be more realistic in, with the, yourself and with others, meaning your, your uh, future colleagues, your, your customers, your, uh, your um, hiring managers and whatnot. That helps you succeed. I'm sure there are hiring managers that are looking for reasons to fail the candidate. I know they, they're out there. Most hiring managers want to hire a person they can trust. They want, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to keep looking for years. They want to get that person on board and be done with it. So if you can prove that you are that person, you don't really need to struggle, right? So in that sense, don't be your own worst enemy. Do things right and, and, and you're going to be successful. So that's a wrap up for today. We've talked about uh, product manager problem, not enough user data, do interviews, do experiments, uh, convince your upper management to give you more resources to continuously run experiments. And, and if you can't collect the quantity of the data you want, make it up in the quality of the data you get. And we talked about the career advice. When you are not a product manager, you don't have a previous product management experience, but you want to become one. Uh, formulate your value proposition. What do you bring to the table? Why you should get hired? You should be able to answer that question. Uh, specifically, especially when you're not a product manager, you want to be able to answer that. You want to be able to say, hey, I know I'm not a product manager, but I can do this, this, and this. Um, you should definitely have some relatable experience to what the product managers do. And you should probably practice a little more, do your homework, get the basics right, and set realistic expectations for yourselves and others. Um, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for, very much for watching. If you were watching, there's a YouTube, there's a podcast, there's a transcript on my website. So whichever one works for you, um, please do, don't forget to hang on. How do you say that? Like and subscri subscribe and like, like and subscribe, hit that notification, whatever. Just enjoy it. It's all yours. Thank you. listening to the real world product management and i've been your host vlad grubman until the next time